You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by TubeBuddy, the complete toolkit for YouTube channel management. This power-packed browser extension helps with everything from bulk metadata edits and trending keyword suggestions to thumbnail optimization, fan engagement tools, and so much more. Visit TubeBuddy.com to meet your new best friend on YouTube. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Benedict Kraus, a self-proclaimed tech nerd, esports veteran, and all-around great guy. <laughs> so you, you did steal my quote then. I did. I stole that uh, from, right from your LinkedIn. Very good preparation. That's right. So um, we've known each other for a while, but this is the first time we've ever been together in L.A. I've been to your... Yeah, that's true. Of Cologne. Yeah. yeah, we always asked you to come because you know we would pay you. So uh, that's true. I guess that's fair, huh? Yeah, and it was a chance for me to get some good local Kolsch. True, and uh, also we met in Amsterdam several times, mm-hmm. I guess, right? So very good. Also not a place, bad place to be. Yeah. Well, uh, excited to have you on the show and talk a little bit about your background. I thought we'd start by learning how you found your way into the gaming space. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Great city. I'm still learning a lot every time I'm here. How did I find uh, uh, my way in the gaming space? I think uh, I had my first my first actual PC when I was 10 or 12 or something. So that was around, I would say, 1992. That was early days. There was a green screen to it. So it was no colors, not even black and white. It was a really shitty thing. But it uh, brought me into gaming sort of later on because, you know, you would play games like... Prince of Persia, Jenna Sisters, um, later on also Doom, and you know, then yada yada, the normal stuff happens, right? And then you end up sitting there, uh, and uh, a game called Half Life is released, and uh, you do local lands all the time with your friends, and uh, you download mods. Famous thing back then, uh, and it was a new world, uh, very new, no one knew it. Came out in uh, September 1999. Name was Counter Strike. Was a very different game back then, but we played it. Everyone stopped playing it in my uh, friends group, but me. So I kind of stuck with that, and uh, soon after made the whole thing my uh, my career. And so, what about this game or this experience made you say, "I want to make this a career. I want to have, you know, I want to go into business and focus on gaming." So I mean, everyone uh, has a smart story about he has a master plan and, you know, it's like all totally planned out and it's because, you know, he was super smart. But I mean, let's face it, you know, uh, I had fun doing it. I stumbled into it. Uh, I got to know the, uh, know the right people. I was early in it and I started uh, quickly doing more than just playing. I became an editor at at websites like gotrack.com, like old school esports. And with that was embedded into the core of, you know, the people that would develop the whole industry. And uh, via these people, uh, I got a job. And uh, there I am. Right? Great. So, so you had this background as, I, I guess, a bit of a journalist or an editor, as you said, for some of these publications. And you were not just playing the games, you were talking about and publishing content about the games. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I kind of like, I, I tried to be successful in Counter-Strike, but I failed and kind of got angry at my teammates. So I looked for other opportunities. Um, and that is managing uh, more stuff and, uh, you know, organizing more stuff, but also writing about it. And uh, what I did is back then uh, the so-called ESL Pro Series started. Um, that was by far the most professional Counter-Strike league in the world, but only national in Germany. Um, and that for started... those who aren't familiar, tell them a little bit more about ESL. Well, ESL is uh, one of the first, uh, if not the first, uh, actual esports company out there. They used to be called ESPL, now they're ESL, and the long version is uh, used to be, rather, uh, Electronic Sports League. It's a German company with, by now, 17 offices around the world and around about 500-something employees. And uh, it started uh, around about 2000, 2001, I think. It's like the 
definition. It's a, in Europe, at least in Germany, it's the Google of esports, sort of. Mm. In some regions, not so much penetration, but uh, overall, it's one of the defining companies for esports. So you were playing Counter-Strike and you were thinking about going pro, potentially, or was there this kind of conception of esports with Counter-Strike as a primary title at that time? Yes, very much so. I mean, there was there was also funny games like Jedi Knight back then in uh, programming in that, that area. But um, Counter-Strike was the biggest title already then. Um, I failed two times in uh, succeeding at the to the top level of the pro series. Um, back then there was a system of a relegation. So you had a second league below it. We uh, won that second league two times and then I failed at relegating up to the first one in that like you know final four tournament sort of. And uh, uh, then I kind of gave up and looked for other opportunities. Yeah. That's the story there. First of all, I've, I'm curious about esports as a phenomenon because for a game like Counter-Strike, it seems to me that a lot of it requires significant athletic ability and, and you know, hand-eye coordination, reflexes. And so the career of an esports player for a title like Counter-Strike is, what, maybe 24, 25 years old? After that, you know, you kind of hit this natural peak and then you start to decline in terms of, you know, your reflexes and ability to respond? Well, you definitely start declining at that age, but I think you can make up a lot with experience, especially in games like Counter-Strike, because Counter-Strike has a more complex meta game than most other games, in my opinion, and it's more open because, you know, games like League of Legends have a very strict rule set on, uh, on you know, what items to use and so on, and it's a very learn-based and... Uh, linear sort of meta there which is very you know dependent on the patch counter-strike has a more fluent component where you play your enemy and not the game so um well does that answer your question yeah sort it does of. it's fascinating and, I, and i'm curious how esports titles have evolved over the years and is it that game publishers are now thinking about esports in mind when they're designing a game it seems to me that they're trying to make them more of a spectator sport when you think about you know blizzard launching overwatch it seems like it was designed to become an esports title I don't think so with mm. Overwatch, um, because I mean to be honest, look at it. It's not really watchable. Like spectating it is impossible. It's a great game. It's fun, but is it an esports title? I would like to throw that question out there because uh, I'm not totally convinced. We can stick to Counter Strike as an example of what esports title means. I think uh, if you look at the iterations, generations, and so on that you have uh, of Counter Strike games, ultimately in Counter Strike is still, in my personal opinion, the pinnacle of esports because it is on a on a level where you know we have generations of players that don't play anymore but still watch it. So it goes in a direction that is it's more like football and so on, which becomes a a natural part of many people's life. And it's not just a game that comes and goes, right? Now that's uh, obviously only possible with modern monetization methods, that being, you know, sort of microtransactions, free-to-play and so on. And that plays nicely with esports because, uh, you know, um, esports means you're, you're dedicated, uh, you put a lot of effort in and you take it serious. So uh, that's a nice retention tool. I think that's why publishers want to go in esports. Um, obviously, many are struggling, right? Because uh, you have to think really long-term if you look at the big titles. Counter-Strike, League of Legends, Dota. I mean, even think about the iterations of Dota, right? From a Warcraft mod to now Dota 2 in like a new engine and so on and so forth. Um, long time. So I think that's still, that's that, that's the role model. And I think uh, there's a few out there that, um, that don't even... Um, get the fame that they deserve. Mm -hmm. For example, being Rainbow Six, a title constantly growing, uh, making a lot of money for the publisher and having a, a very healthy and interesting esports community and a good pro league. So, Counter-Strike is one of those titles that's had that staying power, as you mentioned. Are there other titles that you think are going to stick around? Do you see a long-term future for League, for Dota 2? As long as... I mean, Dota 2 is already uh, long-term. Yes. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. League of Legends, um, I, I would agree, yes, sure. I mean, if the publisher wants to, yes. Yeah. 
how has Counter-Strike changed over time? <laughs> so I mean, me being the guy that's old and used to play it, uh, obviously that now it's dumped down, right? But uh, that's probably not true because the skill level is way higher than it used to be. Uh, it's more professional and so on. And uh, yeah, I mean, how did it change, right? Um, I think the that's also a bit of a difference to, to other games, in my opinion. The bigger changes actually come from playing style and not necessarily only from changing the game. Obviously, there were big jumps between uh, 1.0, 1.6, uh, Condition Zero, Source, and now Go. And then even the original version of Contest Go has not a lot in common with what we, need, we see now, right? So, I mean, it's the concept is the same, and it's nice about Counter-Strike because every kid's understand it, right? Like, yeah. It's a kid's game. Like, you play that as a kid, like, you chase each other, sort of, right? So, microscopically spoken, small changes, but I think the, if you into the game, you would see a lot of changes every day. And what do you think about some of these blockbuster titles that have been these breakout successes over the past few years, namely PUBG and then Fortnite? Cool games, fun, yeah. uh, casual, not esports titles. Correct. Um, they're just, you know, it's there's a hype in esports, there's a hype in these kind of like Battle Royale games, and it, the path had to cross, but it doesn't feel like a natural fit to me. What was the tipping point for esports? Have we have we gotten there yet? It seems to me that we have because now there is much more professionalization around leagues and uh, some of the media rights around this content. Players are earning real salaries, focus on this 100% of the time. Do you think that we have kind of arrived, that esports is, is having its moment? I've been hearing that for the last... 12 years or something so or even longer um, i think every every year everyone is like this year esports is totally exploding and uh, you know it, it doesn't really happen that way i think that that's good for esports because the consistent growth you see with you know here and there a bump and some uh, mainstream hype is much more healthy than just hyping it on a short notice and uh, for the people being in esports long enough we all remember like you know 2008 and 9 and so on when uh, the, uh, here in the US especially, um, CGS failed and uh, pretty much all of the Counter-Strike community and many other communities imploded and uh, we were set back years and years, right? And also marketing budgets went away and so on. So we should keep that in mind when we think about the current hype. And sometimes I have a feeling like there's, you know, evaluations and so on are like out of this world. So is there a hype? Yes. Is it a, is, does esports has a moment? I think esports is having its moment for like the last five years already. Well, I want to come back to esports, but in the meantime, let's dive a little bit more into your background. After your early experience in publishing, you served as the chief technology consultant at Four Media Network, which I believe was acquired by ESL and Turtle Entertainment. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, was acquired indirectly uh, when MTG, Modern Times Group, bought Turtle Entertainment. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about MTG because they've made a, a number of bets in the digital and kind of gaming ecosystem. Yeah, they, they did a lot of bets there, yeah. The origins of MTG is sports rights. So they got big by um, being the first entity really selling the NHL rights and buying them and reselling them and using them in Europe. And uh, that's their DNA. Primarily in the Nordics or all throughout Europe? Primarily in the Nordics, but um, I mean, they also had some Eastern European assets in the past. They had a South Africa assets and so on. And don't know all the TV stations they have, but yeah primarily Nordics. You have a background as a technologist. How did you learn how to code? I don't. Oh, you don't code? Okay. <laughs> well. I just have a, a, I just in a lucky situation that I have a good understanding of technology sure. and, uh, and you know, while I understand the concepts of all of these things, I personally never actually learned to code myself. Sure. Okay, so you're involved at 4Media Network and then join ESL through this kind of series of acquisitions. You climbed the ranks there at this esports giant for 10 years, ultimately leading their network of creator partnerships with some of the world's you know biggest gaming influencers. So what was that experience like? What was your vision for the company's media empire? Things kind of fit together there. 
Um, we started back uh, early on at ESL with uh, display advertising, the classic stuff, and uh, we all know how that went. You know, it got more and more automated, boring, low margin, no work anymore. It just, you know, not no innovation in there. And you could see a similar path happening with video. We, with Formidia, we were uh, rather early in the market and uh, had a lot of success there, but uh, obviously with more programmatic and, and so on, the, uh, the innovation in the market would actually go down. It's uh, like a more mature market. Um, and the logical next step was uh, doing an influencer agency because, I mean, you know, that's that's what the, the, the hyped type of advertising sort of is at the moment, right? And that's that's how this ended up uh, happening, step by step. And what was unique? What, what did ESL bring to the table in the influencer space? Well, I mean, ESL being the biggest esports company in the world, there's the events, there's the leagues, there's uh, the massive amount of supporters uh, behind a company like ESL. Um, and then there's a lot of content rights you could use. So we were able to use these rights to enable a lot of these uh, creators and influencers to actually create unique esports content, best ofs, whatever you can imagine, and get them to these events and treat them in a way where, you know, they could produce unique, unique stuff. And uh, this combination enabled us uh, and our sales teams to uh, really create unique products. You know, um, nowadays sponsorships and slapping a logo on something is uh, not what you what you want to sell anymore. But you need to activate that. You, know? you have to uh, kind of the internet is a very loud space, and you kind of have to yell all the time. So uh, that's that's why you need influencers. How did the gaming space, and more specifically, what you were doing in esports at ESL and the influencer kind of dimension of that, change over that past decade? Well, obviously it grew, right? And I've seen a lot of people, companies and everything come and go. The, I, I think uh, what you said before about, you know, a bigger focus on esports and publishers um, is obviously a consequence out of these changes that you see in the business models, right? And it's just a sheer amount of people also looking at that. Um, during that time, uh, gaming became bigger than, you know, the movie business and so on. So um, that's changing, right? Yeah. One of the notable moves that's happened here in the U.S. for game publishers is the creation of the franchise system, right? So Riot Games with League, and then, of course, what Blizzard has done with Overwatch is working on creating a big business out of playing these titles. Do you think we're going to see a similar system in Europe or other parts of the world? Well, I mean, we're seeing it in Europe already, right? Um, Overwatch is doing it. uh, League of Legends is doing it. We will see other doing it. Personally, um, I'm a bigger fan of Open League system, but that's maybe just, you know, because I'm used to that. Um, But Totally both systems are valid uh, and there's big uh, upsides to franchise systems if you do it right. And uh, yeah. From a media rights standpoint, from a merchandise standpoint. Scalability, merchandise, yeah. um, also fan like base. A, the fan base, control, right? You can you have a much more clean ecosystem. The upside is you can you know market it better. The downside is maybe it can get a bit stale. Um, it has less surprises in the system, I would say. What do you think are the primary differences between esports in the gaming industry in the US and say your experience in Europe? I think the biggest difference is really that, you know, if there's a hype in the US, it's going completely out of control quickly um, and that's just bigger. And uh, once people see the the opportunity, people move faster. Europe is often much more conservative. That's good and bad at the same time. And are there examples of hypes like that that you've seen take off faster in the US that have been slower to gain traction in Europe? Well, I'd rather not name names. <laughs> sure. Would be judgmental. <laughs> okay. No uh, but sure, yeah, I've seen it. Which games do you expect to continue to grow as esports titles? What are some of the underperforming or, or you know, not often considered games out there that should be growing? I think fighting games have a good chance of finally breaking through. I mean, the US is uh, quite good with that. Uh, outside of the US, it's still uh, rather small, but it has a lot of potential because it's a very 
Um, it's, it's games that are very based on individuals and characters, so you can tell awesome stories around it. And I think uh, esports in the mainstream needs to be more stories, less only hardcore, right? Uh, and also, well, I mean, Rocket League, definitely, Rainbow Six. And I'm pretty sure I'm forgetting a few titles. I think you're right. The fighting games and uh, Rocket League, I think, appeal because they're easily understood, right? There's no complex rule set like League, right, where you have to understand all these different dimensions. So for a casual gamer or a layperson yeah. entirely to the gaming space, they can watch a fighting game and understand what's going on. Exactly. And I think Rocket League is, is a perfect example of like a, a sort of mainstream casual esports entry title because it's uh, not a simulation of reality, it's fun, it's non-violent, and it provides the opportunity of connecting a lot of different angles there, right? I think, uh, and that's just, again, very personal opinion, but I think reality, like a football simulation or something, is not necessarily, in my opinion, real esports, but it's uh, just a copy of reality. And sure. I personally would always watch a real football game and not a simulation. Not watching FIFA or Madden or... Yeah, and that's just a personal opinion. Yeah. Right? Um, and uh, uh, you, you can see with Rocket League that adding a fantasy component sort of in, in like racing or something might be something very interesting, especially if you consider that racing is one of the few actual sports out there where uh, people on a simulation could actually later on uh, be talents in academy for the Formula 3, Formula 2 team. Really? And that's, I think, what you know we'll see there. Yeah. I got to say, the first time I heard about and later played Rocket League, I thought it was ridiculous. This idea of cars playing soccer just seemed crazy. But the game is actually very technically challenging. I found it, you know, I I'm consider myself a gamer, played a good number of titles. I struggled through my first match. I mean, the, the, the level of skill that the true esports athletes in Rocket League demonstrate is very high caliber. Yeah, I mean, that's the key for every successful game in that way. A multiplayer game is like, you know, easy to learn how to master. And I think it totally provides that. So. Yeah, very good. Let's think a little bit more about the live streaming landscape for gaming video. Twitch is obviously the leader here. But what other platforms are important? Is YouTube gaming, well, now YouTube gaming going away, kind of being folded into the core of YouTube. Is YouTube still important? What's happening with Mixer, with Caffeine, some of these newer you know, platforms? Well, I think, I mean, YouTube gaming as a sort of skin and theme for YouTube was the wrong decision, in my personal opinion. It works for kids, but maybe not for gaming. Still, YouTube is just from the sheer size of it and the relevance uh, out there, just a very important platform and it will always stay that. Well, I mean, Mix Mixer is cool because it's low latency. It has some uh, special features and so on. Uh, and then we'll see. Um, the other ones, uh, you know, well, let's see what happens to Caffeine and how they perform. They're very early yet. And there's a few others out there that might be interesting, right? But, uh, yeah. So, sure. What do you think about some of the tools companies in that space, like uh, Streamlabs or Mobcrush? There's something there. Um, and I think with the growth of the industry, there will be more needs opening. Whether Streamlabs is uh, as successful as uh, we all think, um, I can't judge. I don't can't look into it. Um, obviously, I think... Uh, Advertising is kind of getting a bit stale, like, you know, it's not exactly growing anymore. There's a lot of problems. There's a trust issue. There's GDPR and all these other things. So in my personal opinion, the future is definitely more like a B2C direction, which enables all of the companies you mentioned to grow. Um, even even a mock crush, um, though being mainly advertising driven, it's a very custom experience and it can enable also other things, in my opinion. Do you see Twitch successfully expanding beyond gaming? It seems like they're making a big push that way now. And YouTube, you know, if we think about it five years ago, was heavily gaming and had to kind of change its brand identity to diversify beyond that. So, I mean, um, I, I know uh, Twitch uh, since the days when it was actually just a TV. So it's kind of natural, right? I mean, like Twitch only being gaming feels for me like a, 
short period of time because uh, it, the origins are uh, IRL Git streaming and all sort of interesting stuff. And I mean, if anyone fancies that, like do the research, there's a few interesting stories and incidents from very early days of streaming with Justin TV, where, uh, you know, we can all see where this is coming from. And uh, going back there is only lo logical and natural. So. What is something that you believe that everyone else thinks is totally crazy? I don't know. <laughs> so let me break it down for you. I, I asked this of most of the guests that come on the show. I'm looking for contrarian opinions, and I think that you probably have a few of those. What is something that maybe the rest of the industry has their sights set on that you think is off for some reason, or something that you feel very strongly about that most people would disagree with? The older you grow, the less fucks you give. So so I, I don't feel too strongly about you know all of these, uh, these things. Um, there's... I think the evaluation of a few teams out there uh, is up to debate, but you know, I'm not a rating guy, uh, so others should judge that. Okay, fair enough. What do you think about traditional sports media investing in esports? Great, love it. What is driving that? Is it fear about what's happening in their industry? Is it seeing an opportunity in diversifying successfully? What's it's your the same thing, on? isn't it? So is it could be like I mean, the, being afraid of losing out means you have to innovate, right? So obviously, I mean, you know. Uh, uh, someone owning Dallas Cowboys uh, has uh, a very uh, good idea on how to build a brand and to uh, and has probably a big edge into you know in, in building building like the next billion dollar business. So why wouldn't you do that? Speaking of that, what's coming next? If you had to make some predictions about the future of the esports space, what do you see? Consolidation and consolidation from a team standpoint, from the market. Yeah, just the market in general. Yes, I think I mean there's and that's like you know no one's should be really scared of that, but I think it's only natural that we will soon see uh, some, in the next, let's say three years, uh, maybe five years, some sort of consolidation. Because if you look at the sheer amount of startups doing stuff, they can't really all survive. And there's a lot of uh, people burning a lot of money at the moment. So mm -hmm. it's certainly natural. Okay. So more consolidation coming up. What's, uh, what does the future hold for you? What is your, what are you excited to play? What's, what's your role going to be in the future of the esports space? So generally, obviously, esports is my thing. I love it. It's a passion for me. It's you know, it's been the last twenty years of my life. Um, the majority of my my friends and so on are somehow connected to esports, and uh, I I would love to stay in that uh, in that market for quite some time and explore new options um, and look at you know what what the market still has to offer and what it needs. Where I can bring in my experience. I'm advising people and trying to help people to get into esports because uh, mainly, really, um, I think you know the more people contribute. Um, the more uh, money there is, the more knowledge there is, and the more people are in there, um, the better the, the whole ecosystem is off. If you were starting a business in the digital media space today, knowing everything you know and the experience you've had over these many years, what would you do? AI-driven content creation. Tell me more. So you would use technology and data to inform the creation of, uh, of new video content? I think I look, would look at the live space and use some sort of technology to try to automatically curate live content and and create some sort of global newsfeed or whatever. And what about that appeals to you? Why does that inspire you? Uh, because the potential is there, right? I think uh, that's that's the main reason. Because we can. It's always the best reason to do things. <laughs> I love it. Where can people find out more about you and more about some of the things that you're working on? Most people uh, use Google to Google my name. Um, then you'll find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to add me, ask me anything. And uh, I have an account on Instagram, but that's kind of useless for anything business. So go to LinkedIn. Benedict, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's awesome to hear about your perspective on the esports space and how much it's changed over the past you know, few years. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this while you're on your kind of global adventure and to hear some of the things that you have in store. Well, I mean, thanks for having me. It was fun. Uh, thanks for the beer. And uh, let's have another one.
Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.